you guys are live. Okay, welcome everyone. This is the Historical Advisory Board meeting for September 2nd, 2021. Um, so can we have a roll call? Yes, um, Board Member Jones. Uh, present. Blau. Present. Sanchez. Present. Chair Saxby. Here. And Witt. Here. Uh, we have a full board. Excellent. Welcome everybody. Um, item three on the agenda is review of the minutes from the previous meetings. I think we have draft minutes for May 6th, 2021. Hope everybody's had a chance to read through them. Are there any comments? Uh, no comments for me, Tom. I didn't have any comments either. So uh, I'd like to make a motion to approve those minutes for May 6th. I'll second the motion. All in favor? Aye. Aye. That makes it unanimous. I don't think there was any nays. Um, so those minutes are approved. Um, the next item is review of the draft meeting minutes from June 14th, the Joint Planning Board and Historical Advisory Board meeting. Uh, again, do we have comments on those meeting minutes? Uh, no comments for me, Tom. I, I wasn't at that meeting, unfortunately, but I, I do have a comment. I, I'm being quoted here, and I think I'm being quoted incorrectly, so I wanted to clear that up. Um, under oral communications, item number five, the first paragraph, um, someone refers to Chair Saxby's words about the importance to the community of these buildings had and how this historic site was not appropriate for a homeless shelter. Um, that's nothing that I believe I've ever said. So I would just like, I don't know if we can strike it because I wasn't there at the meeting, but um, just in parentheses, maybe just to add a note saying that Chair Saxby denies um, claiming that that site was not an appropriate place for a uh, homeless shelter, if I may. Yeah, I'll have staff double check on that. Um, clearly, if you were absent, um you would not have made that statement, so. But somebody else made it for me. <laughs> yeah, to, to clarify, Ellen, I think what was- I think it was um, probably, was it Norman? Was this your no, remark as a- No, what this what was happening here is that this was, uh, there was uh, oral communication, Tom, prior to the agenda items. And this was in reference to our previous meeting on May the 6th. And so that's, that's what they were, um, that's what the speaker, they were quoting you based on your comments from the earlier meeting. I, I think that your correction still stands that that's not what you said, uh, but that's what they were alluding to. They were alluding to comments from the previous meeting, not the fact that you had actually just voiced that. Okay, yeah, I mean, I was making comments about how I thought that adaptive reuse was the way to, to proceed with those buildings, but not about that they were inappropriate for a homeless shelter. Correct. So that's that's the one correction I'd like to make. Um, and with that, uh, I would, if there's no other comments, do I see any other comments? I would make a motion to uh, approve those meeting minutes as amended. I second. All in favor? Aye. 
Aye. All opposed? Meeting minutes for June 14th are approved. Um, item four, agenda changes and discussions. Do we have any agenda changes? Uh, none from city staff. Anybody else? Okay, we'll move right along. Uh, item five is oral communications. This is an opportunity for members of the public to speak to this board about items that are not on the regular agenda. Do we have any speakers? Currently, no one is raising their hand. Okay, again, moving right along. Written communications. I think we had, we had one email come in regarding tonight's discussion. Um, that is correct. Concerning renaming of Calhoun Street, which is not directly related to the discussion of this board, but um, since the planning board handles the street names, but uh, has everyone had a chance to read that? Okay, good. Any other written communications? Uh, none, that was it. Excellent. Okay, we're moving on to number seven, regular agenda items. 7A is a review and comment on revisions to the city council policy for naming city properties, facilities, and streets. And I understand there's gonna be a, a presentation. Uh, yes, thank you, Chair Saxby, members of the Historical Advisory Board. My name is Alan Tai, uh, Secretary to the Board and City Planner. Um, I, I'm going to bring up just a, a brief slideshow uh, to kind of walk you through the city's uh, city council's current policy for naming facilities and streets, and then kind of the uh, proposed changes and how we um, how that process all started. So, if I may share my screen. It's okay, thank you. Okay, uh, do you see the slides are okay? All right, so um, as I mentioned, we are talking about the city policy for naming property facilities and streets. That is the current title. Um, I believe the policy was originally adopted in the 1980s and it has its roots in historic preservation, which is why the um, current policy uh, resides with the Historical Advisory Board and is associated with an approved names list. Um, its criteria uh, are all really based on naming city property or streets after Alameda themes and Alameda historical themes to be specific. Um, in the 90s, the city council adopted a separate naming policy uh, to allow facilities and streets to be named after local businesses, um, corporate entities. And then the last update was really handled in 2016 when the city council merged the two policies to create the document that you see on the screen, um, as well as um, just some minor cleanups related to corporate naming. Um, but as I noted, the uh, naming process has uh, in the current policy is uh, really based on historical themes, 
um, and it sets forth different responsibilities for uh, city boards and commissions to recommend names to the city council um, based on the facilities that they have oversight. So for example, the golf commission would be naming the golf course if they had an opportunity to do that. Um, and then currently the planning board also recommends street names as part of its approval of new development. And usually when you have a new development project that's creating new streets, um, it, there would be a subdivision map. And under the Subdivision Mapped Act, which is state law, the process involves the city, the, the, the planning board recommending the city council approve a map. And that's usually where um, street names are decided. Uh, well, um, with the recent renaming of Jackson Park to Chichenyo Park, uh, City Council um, started uh, to examine the current process for how city named its facilities um, as well as streets. And so um, in February, the council meeting um, uh, was led by the Recreation and Parks Department. Um, the council directed staff to basically revise the street naming, the facilities and street naming policy. I'll just for short call it the naming policy um, to really broaden its scope, no longer focus narrowly limited to historical themes, but really uh, update the value statements, the, val the criteria to include more diversity and broaden the themes to include broader Alameda uh, associations and possibly even including um, you know, statewide or national themes that might be relevant. So really the emphasis on um, uh, including, you know, all demographics, all, all walks of life in the city, as well as um, just focus on diversity. So with that, um, staff has updated the, the policy and the direction from council is also to shop it around to different boards and commissions to, um, to obtain uh, comments. So tonight, that's what we're doing with this board. Um, you, we, we are just uh, basically soliciting your um, comments on the draft policy. Uh, so what's changed in the draft policy? Well, uh, as I just noted, we've revised the naming criteria to focus on um, those broader values of inclusivity and um, diversity broader representations of people in the Alameda community. Um, and then, but what, what's, what is key and how that's gonna change the role of this board is um, there will no longer be a names, pre-approved names list. So under the current policy, the HAB kept a list of pre-approved names, mostly based on historical themes. The HAB would uh, approve those names and they would be added to the list. If developers wanted to name new streets, they would select from names on that list. Similarly for city facilities, uh, the, the, the Parks Commission, for example, would be approving names off of that list to be recommended to the city council. So the proposed policy would basically eliminate the list and therefore the HAB would no longer have that role as keeper of the names list. Um, but HAB's role would, con would continue to be if there were a request to name historically significant properties that you would be the board to um, decide on whether those names are appropriate and then make the re uh, recommendations to the city council. What's also key, very key about the 
new policy is um, it's based on the public participation process for the naming of Chechenyo Park. Um, it's a new four-step process, really the first three steps being public meetings with the appropriate board or commission to one sort of scope out the, the appropriate um, criteria, the values that we want to capture in the name, um, confirming a short list of names and vetting those names, and then finally selecting the names, a short list of names to be recommended to the city council. And then really at the fourth step, the city council would be weighing in on the on the recommended names and then selecting a name. And then also in, in the revised policy, uh, we're proposing a new application process for that would facilitate the renaming of facilities and streets. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. So really what's the same? Um, boards and what hasn't changed is really the boards and commissions would be responsible for names under their own jurisdiction, planning board over streets, historical advisory board over historically significant properties, um, recreation parks commission would oversee naming of parks and so forth. Uh, planning board will still be reviewing street names as I just noted. Um, there's a requirement in the current policy that if we were to name a facility or street after a person that that person be deceased for at least three years. So that's staying in there. Uh, the, the corporate naming criteria that the city council had previously adopted, we're not touching that, that's staying the same. Um, Alameda Point Street specifically, because Alameda Point um, is a national register uh, historic district, will continue to reflect the World War II themes. And then what's also not changing is there's some technical standards for, um, you know, how do you uh, come up with the suffix, street suffix, um, the length of the street names, and, you know, uh, basically technical standards that avoid kind of the confusion. And, um, and so those, those would remain the same. So let's just dive a little bit uh, more deeply into the difference in the naming criteria. Um, on the screen, on one side, you would see the, just the language for the current uh, naming criteria, um, as well as what is proposed. So very obvious, number one and two under the current policy is really focused on Alameda history and, and specifically um, individuals or themes that uh, so that are associated with the historical development of the city. And then what's being proposed really would be broadening that scope to um, for inclusion and representation of the diversity of peoples in the community. Uh, three and four, similarly, um, you know, we are, we are uh, now addressing broad, broader statewide and national themes. Um, and then, um, Basically, you know, the, the, the focus of individual contributors, um, that's being de-emphasized in the current policy. Not that you can't still name a facility after a former mayor or council member, but that is not really the focus of the policy going forward. And then this slide basically rounds up the changes in the naming criteria. Um, let's talk about renaming, the renaming process a little bit, because uh, I know the community has uh, uh, a lot of uh, 
interest in you know, uh, pursuing renaming certain streets or uh, facilities. Um, so what we are doing in this process, uh, proposing in this policy is an application process for renaming city facilities and streets. And the city council previously in uh, February had already uh, made some suggestions on um, sort of the thresholds or the minimum criteria for how, how somebody can initiate such an application. One would be for facilities, a petition of at least 500 signatures or more. Um, and then for, for streets specifically, we are proposing um, 50% plus one. So the majority of the property owners on that street. Uh, I know in the comment letter, I wanna acknowledge the comment letter that we received today with a suggestion that it should not be limited to just property owners, but also include residents. The, there is sort of a technical issue there where the city does not have access to good data of current residents. I mean, usually when we send out public notices, it's to, we basically label current residents. So, so the process of verifying um, who's really a resident who, versus who's not is, is made a little bit more difficult um, and when it comes to streets. And for streets, I think it's important to understand that um, uh, it, changing the name of a street does impact um, people's lives. I mean, it's all of your bank accounts, your um, you know, where you get your mail, uh, social security benefits, you know, anything you can think of that involves an address. I mean, that um, that could have a huge impact. So we want to be very careful about um, setting that threshold. But um, currently, we are proposing just property owners. But um, certainly, if if there's better data out there or other practices that we can borrow from other agencies, and um, we're certainly willing to look at that. Um, but once the application is submitted, the city manager's office would be, uh, would be reviewing it. And then there would be a public hearing scheduled before the city council. So basically the city council would be the gate, once we meet the threshold for an application, the city council would be the gatekeeper to decide whether to initiate uh, the renaming process. City council might decide, no, thank you, we don't want to rename, or they may decide, yes, uh, if we're going to rename a park, then the Recreation and Parks Commission would embark on the four-step public process that um, we went through early, we discussed earlier. So the board and commission would go through the, their public three public hearings, come up with a recommendation for a final, uh, short list of names, and then the city council um, would then decide on that um, final renaming. So with that, I mean, that's pretty much the gist of what we're proposing to change with the naming policy. And then in terms of next steps, uh, I will be presenting basically the same information to the planning board on se Monday, September the 13th. Uh, I believe the Recreation and Parks Commission will also be uh, reviewing uh, the, the draft policy this month. And the idea is it would be presented to the city council for review and adoption, uh, I believe sometime in October. So with that, I am uh, open for any questions you might have. Does anybody have any questions they want to start with? I would, I would just make one. Oh, go ahead, Ms. Witt. So, <clears throat> so is there someone tasked on the, if we don't keep a, if, if we don't keep a, like a database of names, is there someone tasked on the, on the city uh, planning um, staff that will keep a list of his, historical, uh, historically relevant, um, like indigenous names, Alamedans of note, or will that all, or will we just start from whatever the community brings forward? 
I think the idea is the latter. It's we, we want to have a greater public participation process to come up with the names. And I mm-hmm. think from the city council discussion, it's a recognition that maybe the process that we've had all along hasn't been as broad. And so we're always very, and, and that list might be very narrowly tailored to just historical themes. But um, I think if this board feels like it is important to keep that list, uh, that would be feedback back to the city council. That particularly maybe for historical properties, you'd want to name historically significant properties off those themes, but um, something to think about and certainly uh, it could be feedback to the city council. Okay. That, that same thought occurred to me that there could be a loss of information with the destruction of that list. But then, you know, I was thinking that the, um, you know, the Alameda Museum and sources like that or the AAPS has a pretty deep knowledge of historical names. And I think those would be brought up as part of public comment um, in any kind of selection process. Yeah, I guess one point of clarification is there actually wouldn't be a destruction of the list. I mean, that list will live on in public records. I mean, that list will be there. Um, We're not going to shred it or um, (laughs) delete it. I mean, it it will be there, but the question would be um, whether whether we could reuse it. I mean, I would anticipate that if at one day the board was asked to name a historical monument, you could go back to that list and, and reference um, some themes off of it. I mean, it was, I would say that list um, uh, does reflect um, a lot of work that was put in to do um, research about Alameda history. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a good document um, to understand, you know, Sort of, for example, names of important individual contributors or you know developers in the old days. Um, so, so that document will live on in public records. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, the other comment that occurred to me um, sort of came out of the the letter about the Calhoun Street renaming and the only being able to use property owners as a petition signer. I know that in in my neighborhood, that would represent a very small percentage of the people who live on the street, (laughs) Um, uh, because a lot of absentee property owners. And um, I'm just wondering if there's, that would would be, to me, it seems like we need to find a way to let the actual residents of Alameda uh, participate in in the petition process. Um, I believe the discussion there was focused on ensuring that the um, property, that the residents on that street had uh, an opportunity to um, decide on the renaming because they would be the ones who would be most impacted. Um, And I think, I think council didn't acknowledge that that was important. Otherwise it could be, um, it could be fairly easy for, folks who don't live on that street to say, yes, it's easy to rename this, your street. And, and, and you know, uh, there, there probably could be an easy, easier majority outside of the folks on this, on, I'm not talking about Calhoun Street specifically, but just thinking in the context of how street renaming does impact people's lives. And so ensuring that the people who are actually impacted does have a voice. And I think um, we just need to find a, an appropriate uh, 
process to ensure that those people do get their voice in and that their voice is um, um, is recognized in the in deciding on whether a street is to be renamed or not. Um, again, the the one technical issue I see is just not being able to verify current residents. But um, I thought the the letter also had a good suggestion. You know, I mean, if if the school district is able to verify current residency for school acceptance, could we could we accept a utility bill? I mean, I think on on the surface that idea is good, but let's just say if it was a really large street and we have thousands of residents, it could become more of an administrative problem to kind of sort through it all. I mean, again, these are issues that we will have to spend a little bit more time on to yeah. um, figure out. And I think, Alan, is it like right now, uh, based on I know that it's all the residents need to be like sample if the house is awarded to someone, uh, and I mean, I need to register, meaning the homeowner need to register in the one of the system. So they need to put down their name there. I mean, at least one or two people there. So is it we can use in that information for, for this purpose? Yeah, I think we've looked at that, but uh, not in a ton of detail yet. But, you know, the sharing of data is not a guarantee. Um, you know, you would think maybe like a utility company, Alameda Municipal Power would have all of the information for accounts. But I think there might also be like consumer privacy laws that might get in the way of the city obtaining that information for a different purpose. So those are those again, those are issues, uh, important issues that uh, we will probably need to spend a little bit more time on. Just figure out the administration of, of um, these rules. The city has the, uh, the voter rules, correct? Or no? Uh, the county does. The yeah, county the does. County does. Mm -hmm. yeah. And again, I, I, it might be a question for the attorney's office, but it's sure. using data that was obtained for one purpose, now for another. Um, there might be some issues there. Are there other comments? Um, I did have a question, Alan. So just as an example, if we were to uh, talk about sort of something that would come under our purview, so this, let's say that there was a, a movement to rename, you know, one of the local libraries. Um, and that that was a historic building. And so therefore it would come under our purview. So would the application necessarily have to come with a suggested name or could it simply just be, we want that library to be renamed and because it's a historic property, it comes before HAB and then we get to sort of determine since we no longer have the list as our, as our uh, constraint, would we then sort of uh, accept suggestions from the public or how, how would that process go just so that we understand it as an example? Yeah, so I think based on the naming of Chichenyo Park, it, it would first start off more like a brainstorming session. Now, of course, there could be an application or request that comes in. I want to name this library after my grandfather who, who you know, lived there and whatnot. Um, there, there could be applications like that. And I think reasonably you would expect that there would be a proposal that comes in with a specific name. Um, but then I think the intent of the policy is that you do open that up for a public input. Um, 
and and then also determine whether the name fits in with the appropriate theme or criteria that um, that would be warranted for for that facility. So again, the the focus is to really broaden the outreach and then kind of keep keep the ideas open. And then as you proceed with the three meetings, you know, you would narrow down the theme and decide on what is what is really the appropriate uh, name or shortlist of names. Okay. So, so I, I, that might not sound very specific, but I think that meets the intent of the council direction is to keep that, let's keep it open. Let's invite participation and let that participation process decide what the name will ultimately be. Normally, how long, like example, you want to, like last time, um, I didn't remember that one of the elementary school changed, the, uh, changed it to Love Elementary. And uh, how, long, how long normally to uh, allow to the public come for you changing the name though? Um, so our policy doesn't specify how long, um, but I think the idea is we want to do more than just our standard public legal notices. We, we want to take advantage of social media to get the message out. Um, I, I don't know. There, there's not a specific timing there. Um, but, you know, if, if we think time is important, we, we, we could... Uh, you can make those comments to the city council and we can include it in the policy. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, the idea is, is, isn't really to rush the process. It's, it's to kind of let, let the uh, public pro participation drive that process. Um, I mean, based on this policy, it's, it's at least three board meetings and a council meeting. So it's a, it's a four month or more process. Right. It's not, it's it's not intended to be a rush, but then again, there's not a textbook on how do you set up a naming process, right? So, um, could the policy be revised in the future? Absolutely. How often does this come up? How often does this come up? Um, yeah. Like I said, I I think this is uh, I think this is really just the first time where the city council has had interest to overhaul the policy. So, and then in terms of the actual names, um, it hasn't come up until there are uh, requests to, um, in the past, to update the names list. So, and the last time it was updated was in two, 2019, I believe. With this, There's not a lot of renaming going on other than Jackson Park. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is because there's never really been a discussion, open discussion in the city about naming of facilities and renaming. So this is really sort of new territory, but um, we, the idea is we want the public participation. Mm -hmm. I had a sort of comment question. Um, uh, it, it seems like this is a, an issue that is definitely something that um, the public would have you know would want to invest in or have you know there's more interest because it affects um you know where they live or um certain things that they pass by every day or or whatnot um but how how would a citizen someone in alameda get more information like let's say you live on uh versailles street or some people call it versailles <laughs> and i am so curious you know like 
why is it that people call it Versailles? What's the history? You drive by Ensenal and there's a sign. And it's obviously historic. It says Versailles station. So even now I'm kind of like hesitating because I feel like there are people who are like about to correct me into saying Versailles. So how does, how does someone get more information about their street name? Um, because I feel like education and figuring out, um, you know, more information about um, where your street name comes from or what, uh, you know, name a historic building might have. Um, it starts from there and then it might pique interest of uh, someone wanting to um, make a change or, or be more proud of where they live or whatnot. Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. Um, I would I would like to say that a lot of the names of the streets in Alameda were probably selected by an engineer back in the day, and there probably was not a public park process. Um, it, I, I I don't know. <laughs> that's that's kind of a good question, but I think if you um, I think in more recent history, particularly particularly in the last ten years and new development. Um, there, there has been a more conscious effort to decide on why the names were selected. And I think once um, the, the names off the street, that the streets that were named off of the street, the uh, named off the names list definitely were vetted through the historical advisory board process. So I think that's where you would be able to um, trace the history or otherwise just, I mean, I don't know why Jackson Park was named Jackson Park. It used to be originally named Alameda Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it was named Jackson Park, not sure. Maybe there's, we could probably look up city records and find a meeting where that was decided. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's about the extent of what I know about that issue. It'd be interesting to know. And then moving forward, as we are you know, gathering um, this information and uh, there seems to be sort of this like turnover of uh, people being interested. Um, maybe one of the factors that people can add to the information could be like pronunciation. Um, just for, I'm not saying that people have to pronounce it one way or the other, but I think it kind of speaks to the intention of, you know, when something is, um, named it at that very exact moment. Um, just a, a, a comment to put out there. Um, actually, Chair Saxby, uh, before the board jumps into comments, um, may I suggest we open this up for public um, comment and then after that we can um, entertain board comments. Okay. Thank you. Well, let's open it up for public comment. Uh, looks like our only speaker raising their hand right now is Rashid Shabazz. Peace. Good. Uh, good evening. Hi. All right. I see nodding. Hi, Rashid. Peace, Alan. Um, good to hear you. Thank you all for waving, even though you cannot see me, but I am here. Um, so my name is Rashid Shabazz. I'm an Alameda resident, and I was involved with the effort to rename Hate School, as well as the effort to rename Jackson Park. And I think uh, in the last few years in particular, there's been an in- increased uh, knowledge, awareness, 
of uh, racism, white supremacy in Alameda and globally. And this is part of what led to uh, this, uh, this policy being reconsidered, right? Now we're having this conversation not because people just wanted to revisit this particular policy, but because these issues were raised about having a park named after a human trafficker responsible for genocide of indigenous people. Now we're trying to figure out how do you, if this, if and when this comes up again, how do you deal with it? And in fact, it has come up again with, you know, Calhoun Street, as well as Haight Avenue. Um, what I wanted to uh, just speak to first, I appreciate you all engaging in this conversation and people being in uh, the staff for trying to lead a process to uh, broaden the scope of our public space names and who's uh, represented. And I wanted to speak to uh, particularly the uh, conversation around the impact of uh, these street names. And so um, I recognize for those who live on the street, there is this idea of, you know, maybe having to change your address or um, bank statements, whatever. And there's also the impact of people who live on the street that have, uh, if you live on Calhoun Street, as one family has shared publicly in letters to the Alameda Sun, and you have your street named after someone who would want you to be enslaved or have some of your family members be enslaved and would call it, quote, a positive good. That's a quote from John C. Calhoun. Um, or I go to uh, faith services on Haight Avenue. And this is a street of someone who thought reconstruction was discriminating against white people in the South, uh, reconstruction you know, post-Civil War. Uh, and so I think there's another way of gauging impact besides just the financials, uh, and particularly because of the history of some of these streets that are named after human traffickers and slavers are in areas that uh, would not have allowed folks like me to live there you know, 100 years ago or 75 years ago or even more recent than that. Uh, and then there's also the irony of, uh, you know, there are some streets that have more inclusive names like Alameda Landing area, but then it's now unaffordable for so many people. So it's great that it's honoring Mr. Bingham or, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Filipino folks, uh, farm workers, but how many of us that have been forced out of Alameda can still afford to live there? So anyway, I'm, I'm available. I can, there's some questions that have come up that I could give y'all factual responses to, like, you know, Buena Vista Park was renamed in 1993 and Patton Avenue was renamed the Constitution Way in 1987. But I just really wanted to encourage y'all to, um, again, emphasize this broadening the scope of the names. So thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Are there other speakers? That was our only speaker. Okay. So back to the board. Uh, I'm sorry, I actually, because of the setup of the, um, the screen here, and I can only see the group that's part of the board. I didn't know there was any public speakers or public waiting. So I apologize for neglecting to, to bring them in sooner. But uh, Ms. Witt, did you have a comment? I did, um, you know, I think, um, Mr. Shabazz's comment made me think of um, the fact that it would be very good for the city of Alameda to have um, historic, historical people that they can contact when, when thinking about coming up with, with names or just so that they can remember the, the city, the history of the city and, and, and the people who lived here. It, those things are, you know, they're valuable to, to remember and, you know, it's good to have a database of people. I mean, I know, I know there's some, I know that the, the, the Alameda Sun, those, the publisher, I think that they lead like historical walks and talk about the history, but 
you know, they they had definitely a con conflict of interest given that they own the newspaper, but, you know, unaffiliated people who who know the history, I think it would be a very valuable resource and, and they should be in the Rolodex. But I don't think it's called the Rolodex anymore, just you know, in the contact <laughs> list. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I think to uh, board member Jones's previous question, I, I would say, I guess the Alameda Museum, the Alameda Library, um, AAPS, I think that all of them play to some degree a bit that that function. And um, I would definitely encourage Mr. Shabazz to, to share uh, some of his information that he wanted to share with us with them as well, because I think that would be a great sort of start to creating that record. And um, I think generally speaking, I'm 100% in favor of sort of uh, treating the previous list as some, you know, something that doesn't have to be thrown in the garbage necessarily if there are still potential names on there that the community uh, would, would find acceptable, but at the same time to not limit it to exclusively to those names because obviously that list does not provide the inclusivity that the city is looking for. And I, I think that that's a good effort. Um, I think for too long, we all sort of walk by the streets and we don't think twice about what the name connotes and, and the history behind it. And I think that um, obviously we're, you know, we're turning a bit of a corner on that front where people are beginning to re-examine the appropriateness of some of the names that were chosen in the past. So yeah, I, it sounds like uh, I appreciate Alan, the, the work that you guys are doing, it's a step in the right direction. And I, I think that um, we're, hopefully headed on the on the path to allowing uh, the citizens of Alameda to have a little bit more say in the naming of some of these places. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that the, the, the vetting process will be a challenging one though. And I guess we're just relying on the community to bring forward information and we'll vet it as a, as a board or as a, um, the council will be the final say on that. But, you know, a lot of these historical issues are, are more complex, that uh, they're not just black and white, um, clear cut, uh, right or wrong issues. And, and we've seen that in the national discussion quite a bit. Um, but so the vetting will be interesting. It's an important process, but I, I do agree that this is the, uh, this is the right way to proceed by trying to open it up to a broader range of uh, people um, and make it more equitable. Other comments? Okay, I've got silence here. So I don't think there's any board action to be taken. We're just, uh, is that right, Alan? Right, no action, um, but maybe I could help summarize some of the comments I've heard from the board and that we could pass on to the Recreation Parks Director okay. to then um, pass on to the City Council. Um, the first thing I heard is just really about the names list. Um, don't destroy it, but that we should keep the list, but not having to limit the names to the list. We, we This board feels that that list um, uh, ha has value and has a lot of work um, put in previously. Um, another comment I heard was just about um, 
not limiting the uh, on the renaming and renaming of streets in particular, not limiting it to property owners, and that that should be um, that process could should include just the greater Alameda community and residents. Um, and then I also heard just more. Uh, uh, there's some discussion about uh, public education, is what I'm hearing from board member Witt that, and and and, and board member Jones that um, uh, the public could use some more education about the history, how their names came about, and then um, just understanding some of the historical themes. Um, and then on that note, if I can make a comment there. Um, I think this board can also previously I think we've we've invited historians like Woody Minor to do presentations to this board and we invited the larger community. I think the last presentation was about sort of Alameda's industrial history and I thought that was um, that was very well received. I believe we still have I believe we still have a recording of that presentation. So um, with this board we could probably staff could probably do more of the same and just uh, have some more opportunity for those types of conversations. Um, and then if we can get the city council to support um, those types of events, it sounds like that's consistent with the comment I've heard from the board, correct? Okay. And uh, and then just one more thing. I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree that uh, the broader public participation is really to invite folks in the community who really would know more about the subject matter than, than the city staff. I mean, I don't pretend to be the expert in any of this at all, but there are certainly folks out there like uh, Mr. Shabazz who's done, who've done a lot of research. There are historians out there um, who know more about particular issues and that um, hopefully this uh, revised policy would give oper greater opportunity for um, uh, those individuals in the community to, to contribute. So just want to make that last pitch. Okay, was there anything else? Yeah, I, I do have one final comment um, in particular to the uh, letter that we received from the residents of Calhoun. So, I mean, I think that I understand the difficulty behind uh, the difference between property owners versus tenants and establishing sort of uh, residency, right? Uh, or the city determining residency. But I think that the example that was given in their letter makes it much easier because we're talking about somebody that has been a tenant for, I think the letter said something like 13 years. So I would, I would think that in a situation like that, um, that particular resident would have no trouble if they've been living in Alameda as long as they have and a tenant as long as they have, um, contacting their landlord and asking for their support. And so there might, I just wonder whether there might be a mechanism to allow a renter by proxy to represent the homeowner so that they could be included in that list of the 50 plus one. Because then it wouldn't be um, you know, it wouldn't be the city's burden to determine residency. It would be established by the property owner and they would in essence be saying, I am proxying my vote to my tenant and allowing them to vote on our behalf. So it seems like that, that may be a way to, to resolve that issue so that it's not the city having to establish the resident's uh, ability to, to speak on behalf of the homeowner. Okay. 
Yeah, thank you for that. I, I think certainly that's an issue uh, staff would need to just explore a little bit more, just to understand kind of the technicality and logistics that go behind it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit, Alan, like when we submit on a client's behalf, yes. we are sometimes requ required to sign a, a, or get um, permission from our homeowners as agents, right? And then that allows us then to file applications and paperwork on their behalf. And so that's something along those lines may, may be useful and being able to allow uh, long-term residents to participate even if they don't have ownership of the property that they live in. Understood. Okay. Yeah, but I can, I can see there being some resistance on the part of the property owners to, to offer that proxy because they have the, the responsibility in, the legal, in all the legal documentation regarding that property that would have to change. So um, if the name of the street changed. Uh, so that, that's gonna have to be worked through. Uh, for sure. I just see it as a possibility, Thomas, of, of that being an avenue that if I, were, if I were a tenant and I had a good established relationship with my landlord and they didn't object, then it could potentially allow somebody in that situation to, to have, it shifts the burden, I guess, to the, to the tenant versus the city having to establish residency and it might be an end around yeah. and, a, and an no, equitable way to allow somebody to participate that way. But there probably will need to be more paths to ensure that residents are able I, to um, I see what you mean. participate. Yes. yes, understood. Other comments? Good. So, hey, thank you. Thank you. With that, we will move on to item 7B, which is the board elections. Hey, hey, it's election day. Um, so, uh, I've been very happy to serve as your, your chair for the last however many months or years. I don't even remember, but, um, I'm happy to step, step aside and let someone else take the reins. Um, but we need to nominate that person. So, uh, I do would we have like any to, nominations. I would like to nominate, uh, chair Saxby for another term as our chair. Well, let's let's open it up. Let's make this a challenging uh, election. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think that Norman, you are uh, also a contender for this role. As it, I, well, everybody on this board could easily handle the the job of chair. So, um, are there do there other people that have an interest in being chair? Not at this time. Everybody's shaking their head no. <laughs> <laughs> For the bylaws, I believe you also select a vice chair. Yeah. Um, what's one at a time? How about? Um, so we have just one nomination for chair. Well, I, and I would second Norman's nomination um, for you as chair as well. Okay. So it sounds like that um, I'm going to be railroaded into this job for another period of time. But let's make it official. Um, all in favor. Uh, well, somebody make a, uh, we've, we've got a, I've got a nomination in a second, so we just take a vote. All in favor of uh, Chair Saxby continuing as chair, aye, say aye. 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 Okay, that's done. That was odd saying your name, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it's, there's a lot of things that are odd about being on a board. Um, being so formal is one of them too. Uh, 
So, and we also need to elect a vice chair. And I believe Norman, you are the vice chair currently. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. Do we have a nomination for vice chair? So I would like to nominate uh, board member Jones for vice chair. Excellent choice. I second that nomination. Okay. Norman, you I have would, no interest in participating for, as vice chair? I'm happy to participate. I just think that uh, I would love to see Lynn uh, be, have a term. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking about chair as well. Um, <laughs> no, no one <laughs> We just don't want to lose your leadership, Tom. <laughs> uh, such as it is. Um, okay, we have a, uh, a nomination and a second for... Um, uh, to nominate or to elect Lynn Jones as our vice chair. Any other nominations? I nominate Norman, so. <laughs> okay. Well, that's gonna make it difficult because <laughs> I, 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 would, I would second that nomination. So we have two nominations in two seconds. Um, so I think we should close the, the nominations at that point. Um, and so starting with, uh, with Lynn, Ms. Jones, all in favor of her being the, the vice chair for the next, uh, term, say aye. aye. Raise your hand. Aye. 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 I think that does it. <laughs> so that was, that was three votes, the majority. So, uh. That was three John, to two, right? Three to two. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you. Thanks, Norman, for uh, nominating me. And um, that was unexpected. Um, but I will happily um, serve that role. And I will look to you, Norman, for um, how to do this, play this role, or undergo this role uh, to the best of my ability. So thank you, guys. You're very welcome. Well, thank, thank you for stepping up. Yeah, I think, you know, the way the board works, it's a pretty equitable group. We, we all get our chance to talk and there's really no hierarchy. So um, thank you all for participating. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Um, so that closes the board elections. Uh, next item on the agenda is board communications. There are no, nobody no has No board anything. communications. Um, next item on the agenda, staff communications. I think we even have a, an update on the Alameda Marina. Yes, so there is a staff communications. And um, if you recall in 2019, when this board approved the certificate of approval for the Alameda Marina Historic District, um, there were a uh, couple of action items for staff. And um, what, what I would like to do is just kind of report back on um, the progress and um, what has ha been happening. Um, so number one, the first item was related to a, uh, three non-contributing buildings that were located on the waterfront. And so if I may just pull up a map again of the site so um, you, can, you can follow, let, let me have a second to do that. 
Okay. Are you able to see the site plan? Yes. It might be a little bit small on your screen, but um, let me know if I need to enlarge it. That's um, perfectly but, fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there are a couple of non-contributing buildings, building 5, 13, 25, 26, as well as uh, number 14 that was slated for demolition. So just as a, a, as a recollection, building 14 is a building that sits on a wharf. Uh, it's a period, it's a wooden wharf, it needs to be um, uh, demolished. And so uh, part of the direction for staff was as we enter the construction plan review stage, just verify that there is really no chance to save those buildings. And so we are able to confirm because of the building sits on the wharf, you can't rebuild a wharf with a building above it. So building 14 would be demolished. Um, Non-contributing buildings 25 and 26. This is the headmaster's office. It was been it's been heavily altered over the years. There's really nothing historically significant about it, but um, there was some discussion about hey, if there's a way to reconstruct it in the future, that that's um, uh, that's the board's wishes. So the current proposal is to demolish the building and then to rebuild it. Um, the the design for the reconstruction, the conceptual plans were previously shared with the board. I mean, the, if you remember, I don't believe I have a, let's see, do I have a copy of that on the screen? I might. These were the uh, retrofit plans that we presented to the board back in 2019. But um, the idea was that we would rebuild those buildings generally in the same form, but uh, with a more contemporary skin. Um, since those were not historic buildings, but if I could just, and so um, through the building review plan review process, right? So that's that's uh, this is uh, building five that would be uh, retrofitted. Bear with me for just a second. This is building thirteen and. This is 2526. So we shared this plan with the board. So the game plan is still to continue with this plan. The existing buildings would be demolished so that the waterfront seawall work can continue. Um, actually, there's been a tremendous progress on the seawall now. And if you actually go up to Clement, you will see that the Clement Avenue frontage has been rebuilt with the bicycle facilities and, and um, even the phase one uh, multifamily building is under construction. What you can't really see is what's happening on the water side, but a lot of that major infrastructure work has already been underway. And a lot of it is um, 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 already in, some of it is already in place. So just want to give you a quick update on that issue. Um, the second issue that uh, the board wanted staff to take a look at was related to the grade around building 19. So building 19 is the tall building that on from the aerial you would see uh, the words Alameda Marina on top. So let me just navigate to the um, appropriate plan. Um, and in 2019, when, when um, we brought the uh, plan to you, uh, there was some discussion about this new grade line, right? We were, the, the, the idea is when we are uh, redeveloping the site, we're rebuilding the seawall, we're also having to raise the site, elevate the site by three feet. And that's for um, 
not only flood protection, but sea level rise. So in the future, if, flood, if, the, if the water level elevates due to climate change, we don't want it to flood, not just the site, but the neighborhood south of the site. And so the original idea in the engineering studies had shown that we needed to elevate the site by three feet. The board's direction was, yes, we understand that's important, but if you are to elevate the site by three feet, is it going to affect the historic building? Is there a way you can proceed with the project without um, elevating the site? So there was an engineering report done that was reviewed by the city engineer. The answer, unfortunately, was this is really the uh, only feasible option, particularly also because um, we are extending Schiller Street through to the property, adjacent to the property. And when this is all said and done, even though this rendering shows a site that is flat with the current level of Clement Street, in reality, what's happening is the site is being elevated by, there's gonna be a slope that goes up. And, and Schiller Street, as you drive uh, into Schiller Street towards the water, you're actually going uh, up an incline. And so um, once you reach the point where you are in front of the building 19 frontage, there's really just no way to, keep the existing grade while also having to um, factor in um, uh, the, the, the flood protection and then sea level rise. Um, what complicates it is specifically um, sort of the, the position of the street relative to the building. There's also um, stormwater, bioswales that have to go in that area. And then last but not least, ADA, uh, American Disabilities Act considerations that it, it just made it very difficult. Um, staff response was, well, can you elevate the building, lift the building up by three feet? And for a building of that size, that was also going to be a, a large economical cost. So, um, so I, that was the result of the, of the um, report uh, of the study from the engineers and our city engineer had also concurred that really this is the feasible way forward. So um, Per your approval, you wanted staff to report back on that issue, and um, that's what I am doing tonight. And uh, just one last thing, um, I could stop sharing here. Uh, there was also work on the interpretive signage, if you remember, uh, as part of the um, mitigation plan for the demolition of the buildings, the develop project developer was to develop a interpretive signage program on the site. Um, that includes sort of the historical shipyard themes for the property, as well as um, Native American themes on the property. So that work is in progress um, and waiting for staff's final approval. And so if you remember what we were asking for would be more of an interactive type of signage. Hopefully there's some technology embedded to it. So that work will be underway. What, we won't see the actual interpretive signage installed until really all of the shoreline work has been completed and then the public amenities and open space um, are installed. And so that those would probably be at least another year or two. So that's kind of the overall update we have for Alameda Marina. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> I'm, I, <laughs> I have lots of comments, but I'm just going to bite my tongue here. Um, so I, I, this isn't, this, I don't think we need to make any comments. Does anybody have anything they want to say? This is just a report out. Yeah. 
Um, oral communications. None. I don't believe there are any. Um, there's one member of the audience, but no hand raised. Okay, with, with that, um, that concludes our historical advisory board meeting. And uh, thank you, every, thanks everyone who participated. Um, and have a great night. Thank you. Bye. Good night.